Beloved, let us continue to love each other since love comes from God. Everyone who loves is born of God and experiences a relationship with God. The person who refuses to love does not know the first thing about God because God is love. So we can't know God if we don't know love. This is how God showed love for us. God sent his only son into the world so we might live through him. This is the kind of love we are talking about. Not that we once upon a time loved God, but that God loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to clear away our sins and the damage they've done to our relationship with God. My dear, dear friends, if God loved us like this, we certainly ought to love each other. No one has seen God ever, but if we love one another, God dwells deeply within us and his love becomes complete in us. If anyone boasts, I love God and does and goes right on hating his brother or sister, thinking nothing of it, he is a liar. If we won't love the person we can see, how can we love the God we can't see? The command we have from Christ is blunt. Loving God includes loving people. We have got to love both. This is a passage from the first letter of John, chapter 4. And in this, we are reminded of what it means to be UMC. As we are taking these weeks to relearn and rediscover, maybe even discover for the first time what it means to be United Methodist. To remember that as United Methodists, we believe in God, we believe in Scripture, and we are also Wesleyan in our theology and practices. As we said before, Wesley called a Methodist one who had the love of God shed abroad in their heart. This meant that they loved God and neighbor with heart and mind and soul and strength. It was a part of their practice. For John Wesley himself, a life of faith and a life of following Christ was to be very active, not just in the sense of spiritual disciplines, which make us good church members, but how we live out our beliefs as United Methodists, not just here in the church, but out in the world, in the midst of life. As someone said in the men's Bible study we had last week, well, how do we live this out? How do you live out love? To live this out, we may need to look back on how we began this series. We talked about how do we believe in God? Who is God even Someone put it this way, in our insecurity and longing for protection, we often yearn for a God who can control nature and prevent sickness or violence, a God who will protect us from all harm. In a world of moral confusion, we wish for a God who lays down the law with complete clarity and holds everyone accountable, catching the cheaters and rewarding the faithful. In our hunger to possess, we might even imagine a God of prosperity, one who promises to make us rich if we simply obey a few principles. This may even have been a part of what John Wesley wanted, at least in the beginning, before his heart was strangely warmed and in that melting, realizing how messy God actually is and how messily God can work at times. 
The writer of 1 John writes of how God is revealed to humanity in the most prime and foundational way. Love. And not romantic love, not even a family-friendly kind of love, but what the ancient Greeks called agape, which centers around self-giving, self-offering, which is attached to the writer illuminating of Jesus giving of himself as we experience every time we participate in communion, a love that is giving and is active. Jesus is revealed not just as an atoning sacrifice, but the one who actually showed us what love looks like. Patience, kindness, and above all, everyday involvement. Being in the midst of those who both he comforted, but also those whom he challenged. And in that midst, telling both, you must love each other. And let's just admit it. It is hard to love sometimes. It is hard to accept. It is hard to be with. It is hard to sit through. It is hard to listen. It is hard to take in. It is hard to offer. It is hard to agape. Maybe that's one of the reasons the writer of 1 John repeats the word love so many times and associates it with God so many times because the writer understands probably from personal experience, it is hard to live this out. To be Wesleyan, to be a United Methodist, to be a follower of Christ, to be human is hard. There is a level-headedness which exists in this church that I have rarely seen in many other congregations. Now, this doesn't mean that we always agree, but I have seen time and time again in the five years I have spent here, it is almost always done in respect and in love. Now, of course, that doesn't mean we are perfect. Sometimes there is a distance. Sometimes there is a disconnect. And many of us, if not all of us, have felt it at one time or another. Many times it can be easy or easier to look at how well we are doing in here rather than focus on what is needed out there. And to let some of that out there come in here can mean change. It can mean discomfort. It can mean that we feel as though we want to look away, and yet we are being called. But people who for years would simply see us as the big church or the rich church or even the white church, we've started to hear that some of that perspective has been shifting, certainly in the midst of the pandemic, certainly as we have been trying new things, certainly as we have been doing more reaching out to the community, and the community has been responding. In my time here, I've had people tell me when they learn that I'm a pastor here, they might say, oh, that's the gay church. But they might also say, that's the anti-gay church. Whatever label we are given, whatever label we might find ourselves in currently, it doesn't change the fact that people are looking for stability. They're looking for sanctuary. And they're looking to belong. And some are finding that here. So it's important for us to remember as Wesleyans, as United Methodists, stable does not mean perfect. 
Stable also does not mean every single second. I think one of the reasons we may appear stable at times is that in those moments when everything is unstable, we still find it in our heart and in our passion to love each other. If we won't love the person we can see, how can we love the God we can't see? The command we have from Christ is blunt. Loving God includes loving people. We have got to love both. Here's something we don't talk about as often. Being a Wesleyan often means being an outcast. Wesley had these plans of continuing his family's tradition of being an Anglican priest, of leading an established church, being scholarly and academic, being a shepherd for an already well-to-do congregation, and then everything changed. He felt a call to go to America, felt as though he utterly failed in that mission, came back home to England feeling a disgrace, ready to give up on everything, But then his heart was strangely warmed, and he realized that the love God had for all of humanity, God also had for him personally. And the love that he felt God had for him personally also had to be true for the entire world. And in that moment, he understood, 1 John, you have to love both. Why? Because God loves both. And as Wesley realized it had to be both, it had to be both and, then he started focusing on outreach towards the community and to parts of the community he had saw, he had seen being labeled as outcasted, people who were labeled as unworthy. And not only did Wesley preach to them in their own worlds, he also wrote books, he built schools, he built clinics, he gave out newsletters. To be Wesleyan, is not just to say to those in need, well, just wait until God takes us to the next world. Wesley ministered to the people of this world here and now, living out Jesus' statement, the kingdom of God is here. To be Wesleyan is to be in this world here and now and to do our part to make it better. So how do we do this? As it was said in our Bible study, how do we live this out? As a worship plus three church, one of those three is serve. And so we want to introduce some of you. Many of you probably know Laura and Allison already, but they are prime people in our serve ministry, serving not only on our committees, but also out in the community and they have taken this time to share some of their story and perspective on how being in serve has not only changed how they see the world, but also how they live in the world. Let's take a watch. I didn't have a good understanding of missions when I first joined the church. I assumed that missions meant we're going to be going overseas and helping native peoples in in another country. Uh, And really, missions is, is, is much broader than that. It's missions here locally in Lakeland and Polk County, and it's missions in Florida, and missions in the United States, and then missions 
internationally. I've never been on a mission, international mission. All of my service has been here in Lakeland, and um, it's nice because you know you're helping your neighbors and um, getting to know other people in your own community. It's definitely a worthwhile. Any of the activities are worthwhile, whether it's doing the Toby's Waterworks, whether it's helping with Noah's uh, Noah's Ark, whether it's whether it's um, doing the Engage Lakeland, whether it's helping at Philip O'Brien. There's all sorts of ways to serve locally and fit it into your life. So I think a lot of people believe that missions and serving others. Um, like she said, is, is going overseas and doing construction work, hard, intensive labor, and a lot of people think, well, I can't do that. And while missions can be those things, it can be construction, I think a lot of it is relationship building. And that's probably one of the most important things about serving others that we do, is building relationships with them. Serving has helped me not be so quick to judge and, and just to try to do what I can to make that person's day better at that moment. I do think it's our, our calling as Christians to serve others. That's what Jesus did when he was here, and that's what he asked us to do when he left. And I think that we all need to do what we are called to do. So I, it's hard to say, should everyone do it? Because I, I don't know. I don't know how to explain that. I don't, I don't want to tell people you have to serve, you know. But I do think it's an important part of what we do as Christians for other people is to serve them. My beloved friends, let us continue to love each other since love comes from God. As one pastor put it, love is not a concept known abstractly. It is an action. It is lived out concretely. It is not enough to remember Jesus' self-sacrifice, to think about it, or even be moved by it. We must live it. To know the God of love is to live the love of God. Being Wesleyan... Being United Methodist means reaching out to others, not just to help out, but to embrace. And that includes those we may otherwise disagree with, maybe even those we can't stand. But if our love for God is true, if our understanding of God's love for the world is true, then it must extend to each other. One meme I've been seeing uh, for the last couple of weeks, I've not been able to get out of my mind. It says, to be a Christian is not to love Jesus. It is to love Judas. No one has ever seen God. So how do we show God? We agape. We serve we give, we live, we love. We love one another. Who do we do that as? We do so as Wesleyans. We do so 
as United Methodist. As Pastor Nikki said, for those who would like to have some of our communion packets, which are portable, that are available in the narthex, please feel free to take some uh, to give to family, to friends, to those who are not able to physically participate in communion, but to know that communion is always available to participate with all of us. It is one of the ways that we, as Wesleyans and United Methodists, are reminded time and time again of God's active love. And as we are replenished and renourished, we are then given that call to go and be that very love to the world. This is what it means to be Wesleyan and to be United Methodist. But more importantly, most importantly, people God loves. So let us go and love God's people. And may we go in peace. Amen.